Malolele, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, or Kuhingua Kokoroi Hawkins. Coming up. Very cavalier to disregard the processes of Parliament in such a way, and likely unnecessary as well. The Solomon Islands government forges ahead with a controversial bill to delay elections. Also. Yeah, we've had, we've had some really um, uncomfortable. Um, messages from the public um, asking me to get off my ethnic buzz. Pacifica candidate for local body elections calls for a united stand against racism and we talked to some of the people involved with Cook Island's climate change redevelopment plans which have won international awards. The Solomon Islands Prime Minister, Manasse Songovare, is this week trying to fast-track a constitutional amendment bill through Parliament which, if passed, will effectively extend the life of the current parliament. Under the constitution, parliament is to be dissolved in December, with elections to be held early next year. But Mr Songovare says holding the national election next year, as scheduled, will put too much of a strain on government coffers, given the country is also preparing to host the 2023 Pacific Games. The Constitution Amendment Bill 2022 had its first reading in Parliament on Tuesday, with a third and fourth reading expected later this week. Controversially, the Prime Minister is pushing the proposed legislation through the House with urgency, skipping the scrutiny of the Bills and Legislations Committee and the public. Joining me to talk more about this is Victoria University of Wellington Professor of Political Science and International Relations, John Franco. Thank you, Thomas, for Sidan's story with Timifala. John, quite a lot of differing viewpoints on this issue, but first of all, has this kind of thing happened before in Solomon Islands? Yeah, I mean, it's very, very cavalier to disregard the processes of Parliament in such a way, and likely unnecessary as well, because uh, uh, Sokovari does seem to have a majority. Um, but uh, Sokovari in the past has tried to delay elections. Remember, this is his fourth uh, term as Prime Minister. During his first term as Prime Minister, in the wake of the coup of June 2000, he tried to delay the um, the elections then as well. This was highly unpopular, caused a big stir in civil society at the time, and in the end he had to backtrack. Uh, he seems to be disregarding the public sentiment in, um, on this occasion as well, with a lot, a lot of kind of authoritarian manoeuvres that seem uh, devised to retain his hold on office uh, up to an election. Perhaps he's aware of the fact that no Solomon Island Prime Minister has ever gone into an election in the top job and come out the other side also as Prime Minister. Up to this point, he's always said that this is a financial decision. It's about not having the election undertaking and hosting of the Pacific Games in the same year. But then we've had um, Australia um, uh, Foreign Minister Penny Wong offering to help fund the election and um, got got basically a slap on the wrist for it from Songovare. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the South Pacific Games is of secondary importance compared to the general election. People in the Solomon Islands only get a chance to change their governments every four years, and they cherish that opportunity. And it's frowned upon to have a, a prime minister seek to extend his stay in office. Do people really believe this is about the South Pacific Games or is this in fact simply an authoritarian manoeuvre as we've seen also with some of the media controls and uh, uh, and other uh, characteristics of Sotovaro's prime ministership, not just this time but also back in the um, 2006 to 2007 period. And uh, as regards Australian and New Zealand funding of general elections, let's remember that during the Ramsey era um, 
the, there was a lot of electoral support. Australia and New Zealand have supported Solomon Island elections for, for years, and their resource personnel have been very critical for the conduct of those elections. Yes, it's a larger level of funding, Penny Wong is suggesting, this time around, but it's not a, a novel move. I suppose the, the truth is, though, that... Um, that Sogavaro is very sensitive to the fact that because of his uh, um, the, the security deal with the Chinese, uh, which has Australia extremely worried, uh, he's aware of the fact that both Canberra and Wellington would like to see the back of him. Now, also, um, uh, the the issue of anything contentious going to Parliament is always a worry in, in Solomon Islands. Just last year, we saw massive riots and the burning of um, half of town, pretty much, and we, we've mm-hmm. seen a, a statement from the the Solomon Islands Chamber of Commerce this week, calling for mm-hmm. calm and for citizens not to to take things into their own hands. Uh, what, what's your view on the on the security situation around these things as well? Mm. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's rare for um, rioting to happen around uh, the passage of legislation in the Solomon Islands. It's usually around prime ministerial elections or no confidence votes uh, that these kind of tensions get unleashed. Um, a lot, remember, a lot of the population of urban Honiara, particularly eastern Honiara, is uh, uh, Malaitan in origin. And uh, well, and Sogavara used to be strongly supported by uh, Malaitans as a, a, nas- a strong nationalist leader, if you think back to 2006. But now he seems to have completely lost that support and... Uh, antagonism from Malaitans, particularly against the, the deal with China, uh, an antagonism against the diplomatic switch from Taiwan to China seems particularly acute on the island of Malaita. A lot of the things, interestingly, a lot of the things Sagavare is doing at the moment seem to fly in the face of public opinion. He doesn't seem particularly worried about stirring up disquiet amongst either the urban or the broader national population, which is worrying. Uh, and just just returning to your earlier um, point about the the Solomon Islands prime ministers not not surviving uh, elections very well over the past few years. What, what's your what's your view on why that is compared to other countries in the region? Well, I, I think Solomon Island politicians have long tried to use the uh, resources of state uh, to uh, secure their positions. They use the Rural Constituency Development Funds, which are sometimes rebranded in various ways. And there are also monies that are distributed directly through the office of the prime minister. China has taken over Taiwanese funding of the Rural Constituency Development Funds, and they're also funding payments through the prime minister's office. And there'll be lots of other perks that are being offered to Solomon Island pro-government MPs as well that don't reach the... Uh, public news. It's clear that Sogavari's majority has been closely linked to that Chinese money. Now, that's all very well for surviving no confidence votes and for continuing during a term of office. But once one goes to a general election, uh, the parliament is reconstituted. Normally about half of the MPs lose their seats. And when the MPs come back together, the 50% of new ones and the uh, continuing, continuously serving ones come back together. There's no particular reason for them to support the last prime minister because the resources available to government are available to anyone who becomes prime minister. So it becomes a bit of a free-for-all. Unlike neighbouring Papua New Guinea, where prime ministers have managed to uh, cement their hold on office and go into elections and come out in the top job, in the Solomon Islands, they've 
never been able to do this at any any election whatsoever. A Pacifica candidate for Palmerston North City Council, Ria Taoni, is urging her fellow candidates to stand together in confronting the racism many of them are being subjected to in the current local body elections. Ms Taoni, who has herself experienced racist comments from the public, says she was moved to speak out by Auckland mayoral candidate FSO Collins sharing in a post online that he was tired of being called a coconut and of having to explain to his daughter what the swastika etched on his face on a billboard means. Her message to Mr Collins and other candidates being subjected to racism is that they are not alone. She says research presented to this year's local body conference in Palmerston North showed that 49.5% of councillors reported racism and gender harassment. She joins me now. Talo Falava and welcome on Pacific Waves, Ria. I'll let you introduce yourself properly to our listeners. My name is Ria Taunui. I'm based here in Palmerston North. Now, um, what, I guess let's start with what what got you interested in in, in taking this path uh, before we get into to what we're actually here to talk about today. So it's really a um, a response to our community need and the community voice, uh, a Pacifica voice in our local council. We've never really had a solid Pacifica voice in our local council. We missed out on so much um, not having a voice there, especially with the um, issues that we're having at the moment. The COVID is definitely one of them, but we were talking about housing, we're talking about cost of living, we're talking about transport. So all the things that our Pacific community want to bring up to council but don't have a voice in there. So the the, the current cycle is the one that you've run for. Just, just bring us up to date on, on what your actual journey has been so far so far i'm a new candidate for the local uh, election here in palmerston north uh, it's a very interesting journey i'm the only pacifica by pacifica for pacifica candidates here in palmerston north uh, there is about 35 of us so it's a huge pull in saying that this is the probably the first um, election where we've got a multiple ethnic communities coming into candidates coming into the election which is wonderful it's really great and it reflects um, what our community looks like. We've got 132 plus cultures here in Palmerston North. We've got 123 languages here in Palmerston North, yet our council doesn't reflect that. So me standing in there is is playing my bit there. Eh? Mm, now, you've come across obstacles in this journey, um, which is what we are here to talk about today. Yeah, talk talk us through those. Yeah, we've had we've had some really um, uncomfortable um, messages from the public um, asking me to get off my ethnic buzz. I'm very proud Pacific of woman. Uh, my Pacific, um, I'm Samoan, um, also Chinese and German. But my children are Maori, so my children are Samoan Maori. So I've had a lot of messages telling me to get off my ethnic buzz. Um, you know, just being really uncomfortable with a Pacific woman coming into election. Um, I've had some really uncomfortable messages about from men who um, borderline sexual harassment. Um, and it's not a very nice experience, especially if you're a new candidate uh, coming into the local election. Um, people say that, you know, this is what to be expected, um, but it's not normal. It's, yeah, it's not normal. 
Mm-hmm. And and you you said just before we started, you wanted to come on here to talk about this. What what is it? What is I guess your message coming on here, having gone through these things? Kroy, my when I saw Ephesos, uh, sorry, Aliafiona for another Ephesos uh, post and what is happening to him, I can relate to that. I can relate to that. You know, um, being called a coconut, being just letting me know that I'm not welcome. I can relate to that. So really, my message to him personally is he is not alone. We are all in this together. My message to our Pacific people, our Pacific community, is that don't let this put you off. It is really important that you have your voice in local government because you are part of the society. You pay your rates, you pay your taxes, like everyone else. It's really important that whatever experience that we're having at the moment is really should be encouraging for you to come forward and be a part of that, um, be a part of that local government and election. So for us, I think from an institutional point of view, increased political engagement of our relatively youthful Pacific population we need to start educating our children in schools about governments, about local governments, how important council is, how important to get our families involved in making these decisions. Um, but voting, campaigning is a whole journey. It's a beautiful journey. But for our Pacific people, you know, when you celebrate something, you get all the colours out, uh, you bring all our community out, you bring all sorts of food out, and that's what campaigning looks like for me at the moment. So whatever is happening or um, or the downside, there's always the upside to it. And that is our Pacific people hopefully will be presented in council, represented in council and have our voice for our community. Community mm. changes everything, Kuroi. Mm. Their mm. vote is their voice. Yeah, and, and yeah, it's just going back to your experiences, like it's hard, like hard to hear the things that you're going through as, as you know, as a, a Pacific man who's come to New Zealand, you know, with my children, with my family, um, and also hoping for them to have, you know, better futures in Aotearoa and to to contribute to the community, you know, like, so just asking you personally, like for yourself and your, your Aina, like how, how was this experience been for you and how are you dealing with that? Hard. But at the same time, as I said, uh, we can't let this pull us down. We can't let us pull us down. I've got children too. One day they'll probably be in the political, you know, scene where where they have to make choices for themselves. Um, but me coming into when I stand up and talk and debate about things, I actually don't know if that person who sent me that message is sitting right in front of me, and that is a scary thought. But I, you have to concentrate on the message that's out there. And it's getting that Pacific voice into government, into local government, getting that um, Pacific point of view into local government, because uh, it's it's yeah, it's hard. Yeah, and we've yeah. We, we've talked about the the these obstacles. What what are some of the, the highlights so far for you? Yeah, I've had a lot of support from um, Pacific and non-Pacific. Our Pacific community are really resilient people. Um, this campaign and this um, standing up for their voice has given them a bit of a growth on what local government looks like. Um, I've also made some really good friends with the other uh, candidates who are in the same show as me. 
uh, and wanting to know a little bit more about our Pacific perspective and what that looks like and what can I bring into local council. It's a, yeah, it's really unfortunate that a lot of the things that's happened have come into this campaign, but at the same time, I need to stay positive for our community, for our future, for the future of Pacific and local government. Landscape redevelopment plans for Awarua, the main town on Rarotonga in the Cook Islands, and the tourist magnet Aitutaki have won international awards. The New Zealand company Reset Urban Design drew up plans that aim to specifically address climate change for the Cook Islands Investment Corporation. The International Federation of Landscape Architects praised Te Tau Papa o Avarua, the Avarua Town Plan, for its climate change mitigation and positive contribution to the wider Cook Islands community. The other prize for Reset Urban Design, working with local architect Romani Katoa, was the first ever spatial plan for Aitutaki called Te Papa Tau o Araura. This plan aims to manage the quality of Aitutaki's environment and local livelihoods. Reset director Garth Falconer told Don Wiseman they're delighted with the win. The theme of the awards in the conference was a response to climate crisis, not just climate change. So I believe that the judges have rewarded us for the resourceful way, the practical way that we've approached responding to, to climate crisis and change utilising the facilities and the assets and managing to coordinate the community into a supportive force behind the plan. Give us some examples of the sorts of things you're doing that have climate change in mind. So so climate change is a a broad-reaching issue and challenge to us. So we're looking at wide-ranging responses. Fundamentally, it's an intervention and it's a planning tool. And one of the first challenges was working with the the fact that there haven't been any planning initiatives of a wide scale in the Cooks before. And that's due largely to the land tenure uh, set up there being locally or tribally owned and the Western ideas of creating town plans with zones and restrictions and controls on on what you could do on your land haven't flown. So the first thing was to really get people into a situation where they understood the need for the plan. And then the plan has developed through a series of steps and making sure that we're taking the community with us on each of those steps. So we started off with very broad goals in terms of arranging the activities and the roading and recreation areas where the facilities were, just very broadly and mainly in a sort of a clustering situation and trying to get those facilities insulated or removed away from the coastal areas which were prone to natural hazards, primarily inundation, storm surge. And then coming up with a, a short-term development plan that everyone could agree on and then looking at a longer term vision plan which had some of the more dramatic or bold moves to address um, climate change and in the case of Avarua the linear layout of the capital city the township follows the coastal route and is very vulnerable to storm surge so one of the big moves there for further investigation is an actual extension of the land into a degraded part of the adjacent lagoon to act as a buffer whilst looking at other strategies to provide alternative transport routes that are away from the coast and putting new facilities, like this new government facility planned, back um, inland so it's protected from that, that vulnerability. Now, these plans have actually been in place for a couple of years. What's been the holdup? COVID. So both 
plans for the island of Atataki and the uh, capital town, Avarua, were passed by the parliament in 2020 and were set to move into the next phase. That's largely been affected by the lockdown and the extinguishing of the tourist market, although several smaller projects like the um, first stages of the Aratanga Harbour in Atataki, that's the main sort of port, if you like, that has begun. So it's a long-term plan. It's a it's an ambitious plan, and it's based on firstly educating, gaining consensus, putting a series of stages in, looking for funding, having a dedicated project management facility and an office to report back and monitor and drive both the projects. Potentially, we're hoping that this award might help attract funding from overseas for the development projects, like Port Vila in Vanuatu was funded by MFAT after of the big hurricane and something like that might be seen as a, a way for these projects in the Cooks to develop as well. This is not something that we've got a commercial interest in directly. I mean, we've, we've done the plans, our contract's finished, but we really want to see these projects go ahead. The Cook Islands Investment Corporation Chair Mike Henry told on Wiseman the international recognition is very satisfying given the level of local community involvement in developing the plans. These plans, if we talk about the Aitutaki Island plan, for example, these are plans that have been, they're sort of developments of long-standing general of the wider community and for the first time uh, putting them down on paper and then getting with wide consultation a buy-in from everybody to say, is this the direction we're looking to develop and is this the sort of sustainable things that we would like to see in our future? And yeah, and this plan has been about getting it down on paper and ensuring that, yes, the wider community is largely on line with this is the direction we'd like to go. If we stay with Aitutaki, how much is the landscape going to change when it's remodelled? I think it's not so much how much is the landscape going to change, it's the sort of how we better going to utilise the natural resources that are there or protect the ones that already exist. As an example, in the development of the waterfront where the ports are, Modelling was done by SOPAC to ensure that whatever happened would have no detrimental effects so that you don't increase ocean currents, uh, you don't take away any habitat that, that may be needed for some of our marine life. And then as we do things like that, we discover from our community, we have a marae in this area on the water, which in the Cook Islands is not common. In fact, in, in this part of the Pacific, I only know of uh, the ones in Huahine in, in French Polynesia. So uh, we've discovered these, we've incorporated them into the plan, we've made sure that as we develop, we're going to preserve and protect and, and, and bring those to the forefront of part of that part of the development. How important is sustainability within this plan? Very important. We live on an island. If we don't protect the very small and fragile environment we have, we don't have anywhere to live. So ensuring that the steps we take are sustainable is it's part and parcel of Polynesia. It's where Polynesians have been able to survive on, on very small pieces of land with not many resources and survive very well for over a thousand years. And this is just taking it that one step further and incorporating it into what is now a, a modern Polynesian society. The government are supportive and have been from the beginning of the development of this plan. It's a living document. So the plans evolve as the needs of the community evolves and as funds come available to do the different steps. Many of the steps around climate protection and climate adaptation require funding. And small Pacific islands like the Cook Islands, we're not the ones that have caused the climate change that we're experiencing. We're at the end of the line. And so we're looking to the Green Climate Fund and some of the bigger funds that are out there to help us make the adaptation that we need to continue to survive. 
Malaupito for listening. That brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Malaupito.